All right. Well, today we're going to jump into the Gospel of John, and as you're turning to the Gospel of John, I'm going to ask you a question for you to start considering here this morning. The question, as we talk about friendship today, is who would you consider to be your best friend? Don't shout it out. Just start thinking about who would you consider to be your best friend. And then recognize as you're contemplating thinking about that, that the answer that you may be thinking of who is your best friend depends not only on your age and maybe your gender, but also things like the interest that you have in life and your hobbies, maybe your income or your vocation and profession. I mean, a lot of things play into who may be our best friend. And it may be possible that over the years, your best friend may change from one person to another based upon some of these different things and variables. But recognize also then for many people, a best friend is someone in which they can share the most intimate, personal, secret information and know that it will be kept confidential and that they will be helpful and rather than being judgmental and they'll be sympathetic and supportive through anything that happens to you. That's your friend. That's your best friend. So today, then, we focus upon friends and we discuss friendship. As I mentioned, we'll be reading a rather short, brief passage from Gospel of John that happens to be within the 15th chapter. The 15th chapter, just a moment to make sure we understand what's happening before we do any reading, is the occasion in which Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. So picture, if you will, before we do any reading, just kind of think in your mind a picture, a very intimate setting with Jesus and just the 12 men that he hand chose. Now, by the 15th chapter, where we start our reading today, we're going to be in verse 13 in just a moment, but by the 15th chapter, Jesus has performed the ceremonial washing of the feet, which occurred in the 13th chapter of John. And in the 14th chapter, he's also told them of his impending death, his soon departure. So the disciples, as they're gathered with them in this very intimate setting in the upper room, yeah, they don't understand all the things that Jesus is explaining and telling them. But nonetheless, I imagine as they're in this room together, just the disciples and Jesus at the moment, it's a very difficult moment for the disciples. I mean, I think how could it not be? Because, I mean, the person you've been following for three years is just, simply pouring his heart out to you and is sharing with you then the most intimate, personal, mysterious details of what shall occur within the near future. I mean, John records details of a private conversation, private, intimate conversation that Jesus has with his disciples that all occur during Passion Week. In the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're not given us the details that John gives us about the things recorded and said during the time that Jesus was with his disciples. I mean, John offers a lot of details that just the, the others just kind of tell us about, you know, the, the Last Supper. Whereas John gives us much more information about the discussions and conversations that's being had during the time during the upper room. So, basically, Jesus is with his closest friend and he's just pouring his heart out to them. He's already told them about you know, his departure, and he's done the washing of the feet. But you may say, well, what other things is like 
maybe he's telling them and pouring his heart out, was things like this, as written in John 13, verse 34, where he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, love one another. A new commandment is given them to make sure that they truly love. Also, we find in John 14, not only about his soon departure, but he tells them about the promise of the helper or the Holy Spirit that will come to them. He mentions it in verse 15 and 16 of the 14th chapter. And in John 16, verse 33, he kind of refers and talks to them about the peace and the security that, the, that while the world will hate them, that they can overcome the world. It's kind of giving them assurance of some peace and security. So the many wonderful things John offers in his particular gospel that the other writers just fail to mention, not the least of which, as our text will state, already alluded to at once, that he calls the men, the men that gave up everything to follow him, he calls these men his friends. It's a very intimate setting, one in which if I were there, and I'm sure you as well, and disciples will never forget. It's a brief text, John chapter 15. You're probably familiar with it, but let us refresh our memory of what's written in John 15 and verse 13. Stand with me this morning as we do simply honor the reading of the word. Again, it's very brief. It's only three verses, and here's what the text tells us today before we elaborate and apply. John writes the words of our Lord. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for every blessing we have. And we thank you for the love that you have for us. As Sheila has already told us a little about the love that you've given to us through your son, Lord, let us recognize today that as, as your creation, we are to love one another. Your word tells us to love one another, Lord. And today we, we talk about friends and friendships. And, and Lord, we, we may have a limited number of close friends, but Lord, let us be a friend to all and tell them, about the love that you have, not just for us, for all mankind, that you gave your one and only son. Well, let us receive this message in the fullest today, in this entirety, and begin to see how this message of friendships and friends can apply to our lives, and how we can be a friend to them. Thank you, Lord, for what shall happen here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, before we go back to the text, begin to a little bit of elaboration, maybe, and mostly application. Let me tell you, I, I looked up last week, I was talking about friends and thinking about friendship for the message today. I looked up and found there's 139 occurrences in which friends or friendship is mentioned throughout the entire Bible. And then I, with that 139, I wanted to listen all for you this morning. Are you ready? You don't seem you're ready for 139 verses about friends. Let me give you just a few then. Proverbs, Proverbs 18:24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I like that one. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, 
and the brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 22, verse 24 and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. One more from Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. But it's not just in the Proverbs you can find scripture related to friends and friendships. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He words a bit differently, but he talks about this, and he says, friends, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Well, the children, you take that one to heart. James offers a word in James chapter 4, verse 4, where he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And that's just a few. Again, there's many more you could find referred to, and maybe you will later, that talks about being a friend or having friends or friendship in general. But let us return to the text in John chapter 15 and begin to apply. Not a lot of elaboration, mostly application today from these three verses. So remember, the focus is upon friends. And from this text, then, we can find three different applications that we're going to elaborate and explain and expand upon. And here they are. First of all, friendship is about love. We'll expand a bit later. Secondly, friendship is about confidence. And then thirdly, our last particular point about friendship is friendship is about God. That's the three points for today. Friendship is about love, confidence, and God. Let's go back to the beginning and begin with friendship is about love. Perhaps no other verse, arguably, I know, in the Bible conveys better love than John 15, 13. Where it says, greater love hath no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. It don't matter how you dissect that verse, no matter how you slice it, it simply tells us that the greatest love a person can show for another, particularly his friend, is to die for them. There's no better illustration of love according to John 15, 13. Now, in life, our very best friends are those who we trust with our most important and secret details of the lives that we're living, for good or bad. I mean, if we truly have a good friend, we know we can tell them the good and the bad, and they'll still be our friend because they know us. They understand us. And they just love us anyway. And that's why marriage is one of the most intimate, loving relationships ordained by God. I mean, the basis of a good marriage is not physical compatibility, as the world would maybe tell you. It isn't really even shared goals or interests, although those things do help maintain a healthy relationship. So the basis of a good marriage is friendship. And friendship begins with trust. My wife, Sheila is by far my closest friend in the world. I mean, Sheila knows so much about me that she could hurt me. If she ever chose to disclose or divulge the things she knows about me, she could produce more hurt for me than anybody in this world. So, obviously, I am indebted to her because of that. But she is. I mean, she's my best friend because I know I can trust her. And likewise, she's chosen to trust me and to be my friend. 
In fact, while we've never actually discussed it, we don't have these kind of conversations at home, I know if need be, she'd be willing to give her life for me and I then for her. So suffice it to say then that our marriage, our relationship, our friendship is based upon complete trust. But here's the thing. Jesus wants that exact kind of relationship with you. He has trusted you with his life where you would trust him with his. Now, as you ponder that statement, let me just kind of state the obvious. That friendship isn't instant. And friendship isn't easy. And it sometimes involves compromises, sacrifices, and a lot of work. And certainly love. All these things are involved in friendship. Again, it is not instant. It is not easy. Comedian Yakov Smirnov, when he first came to the United States from Russia, he was not actually prepared to go into the grocery stores and find an incredible variety of instant things available. I mean, he went into the store, and here's his quote. He says, on my first shopping trip, I saw powdered milk. You just add water, and you get milk. Then I saw powdered instant orange juice. You just add water and you get orange juice. He said, I walked down another aisle and I saw baby powder. <laughs> and I thought to myself, what a country. Some of you will have to think about that a bit. And may get it after a while. But here's the point. Wouldn't it be nice if we just met Jesus, added some water with baptism, and we instantly had a close, intimate relationship with him. I mean, friendship is not instant. It is certainly not easy, and it sometimes truly involves making sacrifices, compromises, a lot of work, and certainly love. And closeness to God takes an honest commitment. And if you want God to be your best friend, then why wouldn't we want God to be our best friend? Then you have to trust him. It involves trust. You have to love him first and foremost. And you certainly want to make some compromises, some sacrifices. But when you do all that, it's completely worth it. Completely worth it when you make the sacrifice and the compromises and you make him your first love and you truly trust him. It's completely worth it. And saying that, have you ever noticed then that when it comes to being close and intimate with God, that I can be close to him today and then be distant to him tomorrow? You ever noticed how we go through periods like that? We can be close to him today, maybe even at church right now, but we walk out of the building and start our work week and all of a sudden we're distant from him. You ever notice how that happens? But I noticed it and I began to ask myself, well, why, why is that that we can have a period of being really close and then a, a time just after that of being kind of distant? And I got thinking, well, perhaps it's because we didn't make the sincere, honest commitment that we thought we did. Or that we maybe didn't fully trust him. Or didn't maybe truly love him. As in maybe something else became the greater love. Or maybe we just weren't the true friend to God that we thought we were. Because true friends support each other. True friends sacrifice for one another. 
true friends are dependable. They're always there when you need them. Even further, true friends will die for you if that is what is required. It is an expression how much they love you. So then noticing that Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, and Jesus is your friend. You have a friend. His name is Jesus. Friendship is about love. But secondly, we said friendship is also about confidence. So John 15, 15, maybe says this the best then. It says, no longer do I call you servants. For the servants do not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. you know, depending on the degree of the friendship we have with others, we tend to hold back certain information which means we rarely confide in other people. We seem to hold back some information. I mean, there are very few people we share everything with. In fact, only our closest friends actually get that kind of treatment. But here's the thing, according to verse 15. What we can discern from verse 15 is that Jesus now is demonstrating that he considers us. He's speaking to his disciples, but put yourself there. He's speaking to us. And telling us that we're his closest and most sympathetic friend. And he says, he said, everything he's heard from the Father, he's made known to us. He's not holding anything back. Nothing's being held back. But all that he learns, he extends to us in the most deepest and intimate confidences. Now, you apply that thought, recognize that friends confide in one another. And Christ considers us to be such good friends of him that he's able to confide in us and share all the plans, hopes, and dreams that he and the Father have for us. Again, friendship is about confidence. It's about love, and it's about confidence. Many of you may know, if I say Jackie Robinson, you probably know exactly who I'm talking about. Because Jackie Robinson was the first African-American to play baseball in the major league. He breaking baseball's color barrier. He faced hostile crowds in every stadium he would go to. While playing one day in his home stadium, Ebbets Field in Brooklyn, he committed an error. The fans began to jeer him. He stood at second base, humiliated, while the crowd booed him. But then, without saying a word, shortstop Pee Wee Reese went over and stood next to Jack. He put his arm around him, and he faced the crowd, exhibiting full confidence in his new teammate and his new friend. Well, suddenly the fans grew quiet. Robinson later said that the arm around his shoulder by P.B. Reese saved his career. The point is this. Most of us want and need that kind of friend. We want someone there who has confidence in us, that will stand with us. Even when we mess up on a play in life, we do our absolute worst performance, whatever it may be, we have someone who still has confidence in us that we can actually confide in that will be supportive and helpful. I mean, friends have confidence in you. That's the kind of friend that God wants to be in your life. And just as God through Christ extends friendship, to us with his willingness to confide in us, so then we must return friendship to him by confiding in him, which means then that we are to spend time 
each and every day, not occasionally, but each and every day talking to him, pouring out our hearts to him, and telling him of every need and desire. God is there. Jesus truly is our friend. And we can confide in him. Friendship is about confidence. It's about love. It's about confidence. And our third particular point today is that friendship is about God. Now I'm going to leave the text in James chapter, or in John chapter 15 and go to James chapter 2. Here's what James chapter 2 tells us. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Abraham was the ultimate friend of God. In the Bible, there is no one, let me say it again, there is no one in the Bible that you can read and find elevated to any higher degree of friendship to God than Abraham. I mean, God then made sure that this unique label was recorded in Scripture for all generations to read for many, many years. But when we read then this unique label is given to Abraham as God's friend, do we ever wonder why he was given this title? I mean, think about the situation here. I mean, the great, almighty, ever-present, all-powerful, all-knowing God, God is the one who made this statement. It was not Abraham's assessment of his relationship to God, nor what he thought about God. It was a statement that God made about Abraham. You with me? It was a statement God made about Abraham. That's impressive. I, I was thinking about this last week, that God made this statement about Abraham, and I'm thinking, okay, all right, James, where did you get that idea? Is it written somewhere? Did you just bring this up all of a sudden that all of, that God calls Abraham his friend? And the question, the answer is no. It's a great question because in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, that's where it comes from. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Do you see it? Did you hear it? Here it is. Here is where God is saying, Abraham, my friend. Here's where God is calling Abraham his friend. Are you with me? This is where God is calling Abraham his friend. So listen, how would you then like to hear God call your name as your friend? Like here is Roger. God's saying, here is Roger, my friend. Or here is... Owen, my friend, or here's Josh, my friend, or here is Jeannie, my friend, or Sheila, my friend. How would you like to have your name called out by God saying, here is my friend? I think we'd all love to hear those words. But imagine hearing your name spoken as a friend of God. I think we'd all like to hear that, but I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I would truly love to hear that, but that seems almost impossible. I mean, how, if we desire that, then how can we actually, I mean, how can I be a friend of God and have, his, have him to call out my name like he did Abraham? I mean, how is that possible? I would want that, but how can I get that? 
How can I have God to call my name and say, here's my friend, like he did with Abraham? That's the, that's the question we didn't answer. The answer is simple. Just get to know him. Just simply get to know him. And maybe get is not even the best choice of word in here. Maybe we, we should erase get and just say, just yearn to know him or desire to know God. Thirst and hunger and just long to know God. Not know and about God, but to truly know him. Not knowing about, you can know about a lot of people in life, but you don't really know them. You can learn anything you want to learn about anybody in life through the internet. You just can. But you don't know them. But to truly get to know them, so you can, okay, I'm hearing you then. I want to be God's friend. I want him to call up my name. How can I then get to know him? Well, you get to know him by learning about him, which goes then back to his word. In 1 Samuel 3.21, is that God revealed himself to Samuel through his word. God revealed himself to Samuel through his word. We get to know him through his word. Samuel gets to know God through his word. You know, that still happens today. The Bible's not quiet. The Bible still speaks. We learn about God's methods, his ways, and his word, the Bible. We oftentimes, we read the Bible. This is a good thing. I mean, we often read the Bible with a mind towards studying it. And that's great. But there's another way to read it that we need, might need to consider. It is to read it like a letter from a friend. Because sadly, not much letters are written anymore. Now we text each other. We can even you know, get on Facebook and send information, Twitter, whatever. But there's not that letter writing that's kind of lost its fancy. When I was going to school, Sheila was, I was dating. This is when I guess it was maybe pizza, okay? Remember how she said that she loved me in the beginning, like pizza? But even though she loved me like pizza, she would still write letters to me. You know, we didn't have the communication means you have today. We didn't have our own cell phone back in those days. I mean, you know, we barely had water, right? So, you know, we didn't have any other means to, to communicate besides a party line phone, which you'll, children, ask your parents later to explain that. And... We just had letters we'd write back to each other. But, you know, letter writing's lost its fancy. And just that, but we still have the letter. Here's the letter. There's the love letter given us by God. And we need to read it like it is a letter that God gave us personally. And you can personalize this letter. I mean, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son. Read it differently. When you're reading the Bible, you're meditating upon Scripture, say, God so loved Kurt. That he was one and only son that Kurt should not perish, have everlasting life. Personalize it. It's a letter written to you. Just don't read it to study it. That's great. But also read it to meditate, to reflect it, to make it a personal letter that God wrote to you. And when you begin to read the Bible that way, I mean, tell you, it will revolutionize your life. It will change the way you look at the scripture, the reading. And actually, you will hear God begin to speak to you. Have you heard God speak to you? I've known Christians I've had for years, people I love that have told me, that, I mean, they're, they're regular attending church Christians, praying together all the time, who love selflessly, but they tell me they never heard God speak to them. 
I'm thinking, what a shame. That's like being in a deaf relationship or, or, or being deaf in a hearing relationship. I think it's tragic to go through life as a follower, as a friend of God, and never hear God's voice. Because God is constantly calling out to us. He's constantly speaking to us, telling us of his love and, and reassuring of you of the love he has for you and also communicating to you his will and plan for you. So maybe we change the question for just a moment as we think about all these things and ask ourselves, do, do we hear God or do we hear God speaking to us? And I want to tell you that you, you should be hearing God speak to you. If you're in a close, intimate relationship with him, you should be hearing the voice of God. Not audibly, perhaps I'm talking right now, but you should be hearing God. If you're close to God, you should be hearing from God. I mean, don't you hear from your best friend nearly every day? Yeah. Some way or another, you hear from those who love you, that speak to you, that can't go a day without maybe communicating with you. So if you're close to God, intimate relationship with God, are you hearing from God? So maybe the question now becomes, how close are you to God? Because let me be blunt here. You are as close to God as you choose to be. How close are you with God? Because you are as close to God as you choose to be. I mean, it's your choice. Because, you know, it seems that when someone begins to feel distant from God, they begin to blame others. Such as interruptions of life for one reason or another, and we find that we're not spending time with God because of these interruptions in someone else. But the reality, of course, is that others are not responsible for how close I am to God. I am wholly responsible for how close I am to God and for my walk with God. I mean, others can help my Christian walk. I mean, we gather together to be able to fellowship, but also to be able to help each other. So others can help me in my Christian walk. They can support me, encourage me, maybe even chasten me for you know what I do wrong. But I alone and you alone are responsible for maintaining a close relationship to God. So when you feel distant, well, just be assured that you're the one pulling away from God. That God hasn't pulled away from you. Go back to when we were dating. Sheila and I had a 1974 white four-door Grand Torino. That's what I drove back and forth to school. I thought it, like you may have, was the coolest car on the planet. Even though it was a four-door, I'd rather have had a two. But even though it was a four-door, I got around and went everywhere in this car. I would even go to Mount Olympus from Hazleton through the country and pick up Sheila, and we'd go on our date. But you know, back in those days when they made cars, they didn't make them little consoles between them. You know, that was nice back in those days, because you know what happened? Your girlfriend get right next to you. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about. They get, Micah, you'll get it, okay? Grace, I know, someday you'll be in the car together, okay? All right. But not next to each other. Let the console separate you two, okay? All right. But anyway, so the girlfriend moved over next to you, okay? So... When all of a sudden you get married, is your girlfriend, your wife now next to you? No, she's over here on the side of the car. 
And sometimes she's even on the driver's seat, and you're in the passenger side of the car, which was happens to us. But so there's distance that grows in relationship in the car. So distance grows in relationship with God. But notice, God didn't move. We move. We pull away. When we feel distant, God's still there. I mean, his word tells us he promised never to leave us or forsake us. And what a great God then we have. I mean, he's patient. He's patient. Moving again, run, pull away, he's still patient. Because he's a friend. He's our friend. He's your friend. He yearns, he desires, he longs to be in an intimate relationship with you. So we've been asking ourselves today, are we pulling away from God? Are we running away from him in some way? Because we need to desire to have the friendship with God above all else. I'm not telling you leave every friend behind in life, but I am telling you, you need to make God your friend, and you need to be a friend to God. So hunger, thirst, crave, long for God. Develop a passion for God. Have a passion for God. Have him to be your friend. Have God to be your friend. I'm thinking, I don't know what you're talking about because I've got plenty of friends. I've got friends. i got 600 friends on Facebook. i got plenty of friends. I don't need any more friends. I don't need God. Really? You need God to be your friends. And let me tell you, God is not on Facebook. Facebook allows you to have unlimited number of friends. But is that a real definition of a friend? Tell me. No. God wants you more than anything to be in an intimate relationship with him and to have a passionate friendship with him. He'll do whatever he has to do to draw you near him. Include God. Give him the most precious time that you have. Make him your friend. God has shown us how much he truly loves us by giving us his one and only son, Jesus. It means God's passion for us is incredible. There was a movie years ago called The Passion of Christ. And, and the passion is not, I mean, passion means suffering. So passion is not about suffering. It's really about God's passion he has for you and me. It's about the love he has for you and me. And he wants to know, wants you to know how much he loves you. And he wants to be your friend. And he wants to call you friend. So won't you make the choice today to be God's friend? Because he certainly wants to be a friend to you. Have him to be your friend. Father, we thank you for this well, it's a simple message, Lord. Not a lot of text to be able to elaborate, maybe expand upon, explain. But a text, Lord, it kind of just gets right to the root of the matter that we need to have in our lives, certainly a best friend. And we perhaps do have that best friend that we can confide in. But Lord, let us recognize through this message today that you have for us that the very best friend we have that we truly can confide in, that never leaves us or forsakes us, is Jesus. He willingly gave his life 
for each of us, for all of mankind. What a friend we have in Jesus. So I pray today that anyone here who has never received Jesus as their friend would maybe do so today. It's a day, Lord, that is right. It's a day that you've given us. It's a day of rejoicing in. It's a day then that we can come to be your friend. Thank you, Jesus, for being my friend. Amen. We pray.